So the title of the message is called The Preeminence of Christ. Preeminence, if you don't know what that means, it means first things first, putting Christ first. Whoever is preeminent, he is first. Amen? So I'm going to read a passage of Scripture here. Now, I'm not going to expound this Scripture, okay? But this Scripture is going to set the theme for everything that we're going to talk about tonight because I want you to see the preeminence of Christ. What this world needs most tonight and today and in this age is not a new political agenda. We don't need a new leader in government. I mean, we do, but what this world needs most is Christ, okay? This world needs Christ. And if Christ is not in your life, then you're lacking in everything that you need to get through this life safely, amen? So I'm going to read this. Uh, we're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That means all things are held together by Christ. Amen? And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay? Christ in the beginning, Christ in the middle, Christ in the end, Christ all the way through. If you've ever read this book from cover to cover, you will realize it is Christ through the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Amen? So tonight, we are going to lift up Jesus. Why? Because he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Amen? Over the weekend, over this past weekend, the Wall Street Journal reported, in Rome, the Vatican said transgender people may be baptized as Catholics and can serve as godparents in the latest sign of the church's greater openness to LGBTQ people under Pope Francis. And everybody's saying, uh-oh, he's going with a political sermon. I am not. I'm going with a scriptural sermon. Okay? But understand, when I saw this, this, this headline in the Wall Street Journal, I was like, wow. Because there was a time not long ago that the Catholic Church took a very strong stance against LGBTQ, against abortions, against all of that, and stood strongly on the principles that have been established in God's Word. However, as we've seen in recent years, the stand the church took on principle has weakened to where they are now standing on preference rather than principle. If you were to look at this world and this country especially, this country was a country that was established on godly principles, was it not? The principles that we have in this country that actually established the government was all part of godly principles, okay? And yet, this country has chosen, chosen to choose preference over principle. I don't want to live by God's rules and by God's regulations. I don't want to live by what his word says. I want to live the way I want to live. We want autonomy. And because of that, that's why we're in the mess we are in today. Okay, this once was a country that was established on principles found in God's word. But as the generations have passed, people in this country strayed away from the sure foundation of God's word and have embraced various teachings and doctrines and ideologies that stand in direct opposition to the word of God. Now, I want you to know, this isn't something new. This isn't something that just happened today. 
this stuff was going all on all the way back in biblical times, okay? Because in the church of Colossae, they were facing situations. When the apostle Paul said that first passage that I just spoke, when he spoke that, he was trying to remind the church, hey, you've strayed away from where you need to be. It's Christ and only Christ, amen? The church of Colossae was facing a similar situation. Based on the letter Paul wrote to the Colossians, we can draw the conclusion that the strange, that strange and dangerous teachings and heresies had actually found their way into the church. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. You get away from this word, okay? I remember years ago, I went to a Promise Keepers convention, and there was a, a man there by the name of uh, Edwin Lewis Cole. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he wrote a book on maximized manhood, and he said, if this book is not Lord of your life, then Jesus is not Lord of your life. This is not Pirates of the Caribbean, guys, where it's kind of like guidelines, you know, if you've ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean, where they, they say the Pirates Code. Oh, it's just kind of like guidelines. No, this is the very Word of God. We just confessed it. This is the very Word of God, amen? There were some in the church of Colossae that were attempting to deceive believers with persuasive arguments, causing those in the church to accept deceptive philosophies based on human reasoning and possibly even demonic suggestion, okay? When we get away from the Word of God, we begin to lean on our own understanding. I love Sister Pilar. One of the things she always says, she says that her one scripture that she always quotes, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That is true. And if we'll do that, we can know that we're standing on the sure foundation of God's Word. But when we stop doing that, we start straying away into other doctrines, other teachings, all kinds of stuff this world has to offer. I remember many years ago in the library where I worked, they had a, a room that we used to set up for, for people if they were gonna have you know, outside groups come in, and they had this group come in that was gonna teach on feng shui. Now at the time, I didn't know what it was, and I said to the head librarian there, I says, what is feng shui? And she says, it's feng shui. I says, okay, and she says, that what it is, basically where you place your furniture in your house and such, it opens up the possibility for income of money and everything else. And I looked at her with a kind of a weird look and she says, yeah, basically people will buy into anything. And she's right, people will buy into anything. George Carlin, <laughs> I never thought I'd preach George Carlin from the pulpit. George Carlin one time had said, if you nail two things together that have never been nailed together before, some schmuck will buy it. And he's right. We will buy into anything. Why does the Bible tell us that we need to have minds that are renewed by the Word of God? Because they need renewing. Someone told me, so you, in other words, what you're doing is you're being brainwashed. I says, you bet, because my brain needed washing. There's no two ways about it. I need a mind that is renewed by this Word if I am going to live the life that I should live. Amen? There was controversy over ceremonial religious practices. Some Christians even felt unworthy because they were teaching that you have to have some kind of high mystical experience. So those who didn't have that high mystical experience felt that they were losing out and that somehow they weren't worthy to be a part of the church. There was also a legalistic element emphasizing submission to a list of rules. However, the worst aspect of the Colossian era was it diminished the work of Christ in redemption and elevated human effort. You can get to heaven on your own. 
doesn't work that way. You can mix other religions with Christianity. doesn't work that way. Basically, they had taken their eyes off of Christ and looked to other means to fulfill their spiritual, physical, and material needs. Guys, this is not so far removed from us. You can hit that point in your life where all of a sudden it seems like all the signposts are down. You don't know which way to go. And all of a sudden, somebody presents a solution, and it seems like it's right. This seems like the right way to go, but who all knows? Our life can come apart at the seams, S-E-E-M-S. It seems right. But if it's not the truth of God's word, we're acting on a fallacy, and we're headed to a destiny that we don't want to go. Paul's response to all of this was to put first things first. The absolute supremacy and complete sufficiency of Christ. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He alone has the preeminence. Amen? So praise God. That's the introduction, all right? Now we're going to go from there. <laughs> the best definition of supremacy is a position of unquestioned authority, dominance, or influence, ultimate power, or authority. Amen? Sufficiency is the condition or quality of being fully adequate or completely sufficient in whatever you're facing. Okay? Who all would like to have that kind of life where I have some way of sufficiency in everything that I'm facing? Well, tonight we're going to look at three areas of the Christian life in which it is essential for us to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There are many more areas, trust me. However, these three are essential if we are to find ourselves standing on a sure foundation where the storms of life cannot cause us to fall. When we looked in the book of Matthew, it talks about the, the, the two houses. One was built on sand. The other one was built on the foundation, on a solid foundation. The one that's built on a solid foundation will stand. And I got to, let me just add this too, to it, because in case if you've ever read that scripture in there, I believe that what, that what that's referring to is the ultimate storm, which is when we face that end of life in this world. We are not going to be able to stand unless we have a foundation that is founded on Christ and Christ alone. Amen? So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, so I'm going to hit this on three points. The first point being Christ's supremacy and sufficiency with regards to our sin. Church, this is the beginning point for every Christian. Every one of us had to come to the point, to the realization of our sin. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his, glory, uh, the riches of his grace. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I had actually read this out of a Max Lucado book, and I thought it was so good in illustrating just what I want to share with you tonight. Here it goes. In 2008, two college women's softball teams, Oregon and Washington, squared off playing a decisive game that would determine the team that would go on to the division playoffs. The Western Oregon Wolves were a sturdy team that boasted several strong batters. However, Sarah Tokolsky was not one of them. She hit 153 and played in a game only because the first string right fielder had muffed a play earlier in the day. Sarah had never hit a home run. But on that Saturday, with two runners on base, she connected with a curveball and sent it sailing over the left field fence. In her excitement, as she began to run around the bases, she missed first base. 
So the coach, coach told her, go on back and hit first base. So she did what the coach told her. And when she turned and started back, something popped in her knee. And down she went. She dragged herself back to the bag, pulled up her knee to her chest in pain, and asked the first base coach, what do I do? You know, think about it. What do you do when all of a sudden the bottom's been pulled out? What do you do? Well, the umpire wasn't sure. He knew if any of Sarah's teammates assisted her, she would be out. Sarah knew that if she tried to stand, she would collapse. Her team couldn't help her. Her leg couldn't support her. How could she cross home plate? Amen. How could she cross home plate? The umpires huddled to talk. At that moment, Mallory Holtman, who played first base for the opposing team, was a senior and wanted the victory. A loss would end her season. So she had a lot to lose. And what she did, you'd think Mallory would be happy to see the home run nullified. She wasn't. Hey, she said to the umpires, can I help her around the bases? Why would you want to do that? One asked. Before she could answer, the ump shrugged and said, do it. So Mallory did. She signaled for, her, for the shortstop to help her, and the two walked toward the injured player. We're going to pick you up and carry you around the bases. By this time, tears streaked Sarah's cheeks. Thank you. Mallory and her friend put one hand under Sarah's legs and the other hand under Sarah's arms. The mission of mercy began. They paused long enough at each of the bases to lower her leg so she could take and touch the bases. By the time they headed home, the spectators had risen to their feet. Sarah's teammates had gathered at home plate, and Sarah was smiling like a homecoming queen. You know, I want you to know something. The Bible makes it clear. There is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There isn't any one of us that can make it around the bases of life and be good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We can't do it. We can't do it. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way we stand before a holy God is in Christ Jesus. The only way we can be saved is through repentance toward God, meaning that I realize that I'm a sinner. I'm willing to turn from my sin, and I turn towards God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in what he's accomplished on that cross for us by paying the price for our sin. His blood alone is sufficient, church. He is sufficient. Payment for the wrath of God regarding our sin, and we can stand completely justified before God. Justified, I've heard people say, that means justified, never sinned. I stand justified before a holy God because of the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. I think about that that team player who took and sacrificed the winning of the season. They had a lot to lose. Well, God sent his own son that who, to, to die on a cross that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus gave all for us. When Jesus rose from the dead, he demonstrated his complete supremacy over sin. 
And you being dead, it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. I should have looked up there. My brother's got it up there. Praise God. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Do you realize that the Bible tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us? Amen. So why do we still labor sometimes as sinners? Oh, I'm just a poor sinner. I got a friend of mine who's actually, I'm not going to tell you what denomination he is, but he takes and he's constantly ever looking. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I am a saint bought by the blood of Christ. Amen. Yes, I still deal with temptations, but I am fighting from a place of victory, not from a place of trying to attain the victory. Amen? It says that having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, trying, triumphing over them in it. When Christ rose from the dead, he triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. Amen? Praise God. Jesus won the victory for us at the cross, and as such, is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. But there's another aspect to this that we have to also understand. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When we got saved, God places the Holy Spirit in us. And what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes to conform us to the image of Christ. In Romans, it says that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ, which means that the very life of Christ should be dwelling in me and being shown on the outside. How is it shown? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Amen? These things should be coming out of our lives. Why? Because we've been born again of the Spirit of God. Amen? It is God who was at work in us, not just to will in us, but also to give us the power to be able to do it. He doesn't give us something, and then that's why something that always amazed me, when they say that the miracles have ceased now, that we have no miracles anymore, there's no need for the miracles in the church, that was only for back then. I think this world is in worse shape than where it was back then. Why would God give the power to them back then and not give the power to us now? Does that make any sense to you? I'm telling you, there is power. The Bible tells us, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We serve God from a position of power in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Praise God. When it comes to salvation, we are to begin walking in the new person that we are. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, uh, whatchamacallit, Jimmy back there is going crazy because I'm saying a bunch of scriptures that aren't on the list. It's okay, brother. Just follow along best you can. Okay? We do this by what? Reckoning ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. What does reckon mean? Well, basically it means to consider. But I like the word reckoning because consider to me is kind of like, well, consider yourself dead to sin. Okay. All right. I consider I'm dead to sin. No. Reckoning means I am dead to sin. 
It is making a positive declaration, just like we make at the beginning of the services when we say that confession. It is a positive declaration that sin no longer has dominion over me. I am dead to sin, but I am alive to God through Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am empowered to walk a new life in Christ. Amen? In doing this, it's important for us to remember that not only did Jesus pay the price for our salvation, saving us from the penalty of sin, but he also fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Now, what is the law? The law was the very thing that condemned me. <sighs> don't do this, you know, and, and, and it's say, don't, you know, don't lie. So don't lie. And then next thing you know, the devil's sitting there saying, oh, come on, it's just a little lie. It's just a little white lie, just a little white lie. And next thing you know, you lie. And then Satan says, ooh, I'm telling. I'm going to go tell the Lord. Ha-ha, you sinned. And the law condemns us, okay? Well, Jesus fulfilled all the works of the law for us, amen? He, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law, pure holiness, might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Amen? The spirit of life has given me life. Amen? So understand that he fulfilled all the requirements of the law, the great exchange, which is something that Martin Luther used to call it. Second Corinthians 5.21, he said, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that, church? We stand righteous before God. But How? I couldn't do it. Sister, you couldn't do it. None of us could do it. It took Jesus to do that for us. However, when we begin to try walking this out, and all of y'all here, I, I'm, I don't know if y'all are saved. I'm hoping y'all are saved here. If not, we're going to give you a chance to do that at the end of the service. Okay? But the bottom line is, if you've been saved, it doesn't take very long before you realize, wow, I have some problems in my life. When I first got saved, I'll never forget it. I came out of the church. I felt like a whole burden was rolled off of me. I was free from sin. I was free from guilt. Praise the Lord. Got in my car, went to go out of the, out of the parking lot. Somebody cut me off. I said, you black, any black. And all of a sudden I went, oh, I got to go get saved again. I just blew it, you know. I'm telling you, we're going to find times where we're going to fall. And sometimes it can be very hard for us to get up again because we feel overwhelmed by our sin. Perhaps it's something in your life that you've had for a long time and you're having a struggle getting beyond it, okay? And you, you've repented, you've gotten up. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You get back up and then you fall again. And then you fall again. And after a while, Satan's just feeding the lies to you. You're no good. You'll never be any good. You see, you can't walk this out. You're right, I can't. I couldn't. Jesus walked it out for me. Amen? What do we do when we face that? The Bible tells us that, 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 that it makes it clear in Romans 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation. So what do we do when we fall? Well, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us therefore come boldly, church, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I can tell you this. I've wrestled with a lot of things in my life. When I first came to Christ, I thought I had some problems. After a while, I realized I am a problem. I mean, it was through and through, and I cried out to God. I can remember one time I hit a real down point in my life back in 1995. And at that time, the Lord had said to me, how'd you quit smoking? Because I had quit smoking in 1991. And I got to tell you, I never made that decision. On October 20th, 1991, I was a smoker smoking four packs a day. On October 21st, 1991, I was no longer a smoker. I woke up that day. I didn't pick up a cigarette. I never picked up a cigarette since. It's been, what, 32, 33 years, brother? I mean, it's been a long time now. What happened? How did I quit smoking, the Lord asked me. And I said, I don't know. You see, like Sarah, somebody was carrying me around those bases. And the Lord said to me, he says, in the same way will I break away everything in your life that hinders you from my kingdom. Oh, what a gracious God we have. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because he loves us with a love that is never changing. One thing about God is he is absolutely immutable. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Because of Christ's victory, we have access to the throne of God to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is never a point in which we have to give up. And just like Sarah in the illustration above, let Jesus take us around the basis of life into eternity where we will be with him forever. Amen? Praise God. The second point we come to is Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency with regard to our circumstances. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you, have, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He even overcame all the situations that we're going to face. Amen? Understand, it is confidence and endurance that marks a true Christian's life in this world. Confidence is having boldness and assurance that I'm going through to a victory. Endurance is being able to bravely bear up under a heavy load, no matter the intensity of the storm. Basically, what it's saying when he says he's overcome the world, it says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Church, the way I want to go through struggles in this world is kind of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, you know? All of a sudden, he blows the whole town up, and the whole town is filled with smoke, and there's fires and everything else. And all of a sudden, Arnold Schwarzenegger comes walking out. Standing big and tall. Church, I want to stand big and tall through all my circumstances, amen? I want to mount those things and go through with confidence and a calm assurance and an endurance that just surpasses everything. In a discussion many years ago in this church in 2018, how's that for memory, huh? All the way back to 2018, a comment was made that the way people fared through Hurricane Harvey was determined by the circumstances that they faced, that their perspective was determined by the struggles they had to endure. I got to tell you, church, that is not the Christian perspective. The Christian perspective is not determined by the circumstances around us. I am not led by the circumstances around me. Amen? We have a Savior who said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
even in the midst of the most devastating circumstances. I can't think of anything worse that I had to go through than when I lost my wife. And yet, the following day, after she had passed away, that morning I went into my kitchen, went and I was making coffee, and the sink is, there's a little bay window right by my, by my kitchen there, and I looked out the window, and it was a lousy day, it was raining, and it was miserable, and I'm sitting there, and if I, if I had let it happen, I probably would have been just as miserable as the rain outside, and all of a sudden the Lord began to speak to me. This is the day after she passed away, and the Lord says to me, he says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And he said to me, your wife belonged to yesterday, but you belong to today. And then the way God always talks to me, he always, he asked me these questions. So how are you gonna respond? I could only think of one response. There was only one response that came up in my heart. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do I grieve my wife? Yes, very much so. I miss her a lot. But I got to tell you something. He set my focus in the right place. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, I have a focus and a vision and a, and a future, and I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? It ain't over. It ain't over yet. Amen? Praise God. Understand, the Christian perspective is determined by faith in the infallible, inerrant word of God. And if we have eyes to see, we will see our Father's hands in everything that we're facing. I see God's hands in everything. As I look back at my life, I just see God constantly was working in my life. It's amazing. Amen? And if we look to Jesus alone, we can be assured we are going through to victory and will have the endurance to weather the fierceness of the storm. Why? Because of Jesus' supremacy over the tribulations that we face in this world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'll tell you, I was always, I've always been amazed at Elijah. And recently I saw something in the story of Elijah that just kind of caught my attention here. When it came to Elijah, Elijah came on the scene in power. Amen? All of a sudden, he just seems to come from out of nowhere. And he comes in power. He prays, and there's no rain. Okay? God feeds him with the, with the ravens, and then he goes to the widow of Zarephath, and God does a miracle there. His life is enwrapped in nothing but miracle after miracle after miracle. Then he comes to the 450 prophets, okay, of Baal. And bottom line is, he ends up slaying all 450 prophets after calling fire down from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. Oh my goodness. And then next thing you know, get ready for it. Jezebel comes up. I'm going to kill you. He runs 90 miles into the wilderness in fear for his life. And that always kind of struck me. Why? This is a man of power. He called down fire. God, miracles. What happened? I believe we can see this. Actually, the reason why, prior to him slaying the 450 prophets, listen to this. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Okay, did you catch that? I alone, I'm the prophet. I'm the one who's going to save Israel. I'm the one. Those 450 prophets, ah, nothing, okay? But the bottom line is, 
I believe that what happened was that Elijah got his eyes off the Lord and was looking to himself to be Israel's salvation. For later on, after he fled and the Lord talked to him out in the wilderness, here's what he said, 1 Kings 19.10. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now understand, when Elijah fled into the wilderness, he was facing depression, major depression. And I couldn't understand why until I saw this. Because you see, in Elijah's, in Elijah's perception, if he were killed, there would be no more prophets of God to deliver Israel. He would have failed in his own aspirations, failed in his mission, thus failing Israel, and ultimately failing God in his calling. Guys, have you ever been there? Where you just feel like a failure? I have. I have, okay? And I would say, raise one hand. Better yet, raise both hands and say, truckloads. Okay, there have been many times I've been discouraged in my life, wondering where are we going? You know, I was talking with a brother one day recently from the church, and they said that what was prophesied over this church is that we are in the season of the double. And he says, I feel like I got nothing but double trouble. And I, I understand that. And I'm telling you, I seem to go through struggle after struggle after struggle. I'm telling you, back in 1995, I thought I was going to be a preacher with a 5,000 pad of pew church, and I was going to be a double dipper with a racing stripe down the side. That didn't happen, but I went into 20 years serving in a place that I never wanted to be to begin with. What happened? We get discouraged. And I believe that Elijah realized that he couldn't do it, and all of a sudden, he just seemed to fall apart. God's revelation to Elijah demonstrated his total sufficiency and supremacy in meeting Israel's needs. Here's what God said to them in 1 Kings 19, verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal. You see, his perception was wrong. When we get our eyes off of Christ, our perception gets Askewed. We can't see clearly. And at that time, we've, we could find ourselves grasping at straws, going in directions that God never intended us to go. Church, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. What do we do? Well, get your eyes back on the Lord. You know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Do you need healing for your land? That's your house, your body, your health. You know what? Come back to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. That's all it takes. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When our lives are committed to God, he promises to meet all our needs according to his riches in Christ. Amen. Why? Because he's given us all things through Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's a good word. I will see that, Lord. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We have all things through Christ. Amen. We don't lack for anything. All we need to do is by faith, lay hold of those promises of God. Bring them into your life 
and let God manifest his presence in your life. Amen? Through Christ, all our needs are met. If we keep our eyes on him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, he will make you lie down in green pastures, Sister Anna, Sister Anna Joe. He will make you lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters, restoring your soul. Just as Sarah's hope was restored through the opposing team's intervention, so our hope becomes restored as Jesus' intervention in our lives supplies all our need. Amen? And then we come to the last, the last point, and that is Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency with regard to our future. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. I can tell you this, that many times I felt like, I, where's the future? I can tell you, when I was like 30, man, as far as I was concerned, there's a whole future ahead of me. Then I hit 40. Yeah, there's still a whole future ahead of me. Then I hit 50. What is happening? My body is doing things it never did before. And I don't want it to do that. Then I hit 60, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, and, and the Bible says a man's number shall be what, 70, 80? I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. Where is my future, Lord? And all of a sudden, I mean, now I think it's pretty cool because eventually you'll hit 80, and then you sit there and say, wow. Let's try to get 90. You know, it's like we get all excited all over again. But I got to tell you, those thoughts come in. I know they come into your life there, uh, TR. I know they come into my life, okay? But I got to tell you, I was reading in the Word one day, and I saw that Rachel died at 120 years old. And I felt the Lord quick in my heart. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll take 120. I'm good with that. Amen. So I'm just maybe just a little bit more than halfway through because I'm 66. I just got, I'm just a little bit over halfway. Okay. What is the point? The point is that we should ever have a hope. And sometimes our hopes get dashed. There is never time to give up hope. Just think of Lazarus. Okay. When Lazarus took and, and, and died and Jesus came and raised him from the dead. Understand this is going beyond the grave. It's over. He's in the grave. He is dead. Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth. There is never, guys, we are children of God. There is never time to give up hope ever. Don't ever let the devil steal your hope. Amen? I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. His heart is unchanging toward us. God loves us. He cares about us. He wants to give us a hope and a future. Don't let that escape your thoughts. When you're in the midst of storms and struggles and trials and everything else that's going on, keep it in your mind. My God's heart is for good, not for evil, to give me a hope and a future. I'm going on. I am not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm going to continue on. God's heart and seeing us through the end has never changed. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means that God, when he saved you, when you said yes to Jesus and he saved you, he said, I'm going to see this through all the way to the end. But I fall and I don't know how many times. No, be confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means his return. Amen. God is committed 
to our success. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, that means he's patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what that means? That means he's even, he even has an open heart to those who aren't saved. He's patient with them. Why? Because he wants to see them saved. You know, I was in the church one time, and everybody was talking about, oh, we're praying for the rapture. We want the rapture to come. We want to go home to be with the Lord. Do we understand when that happens, all the people on earth are lost who didn't come to Christ? And I heard a pastor one time say, I'm not praying for the rapture. I'm praying, Lord, give me a heart for the lost. Let me reach the lost before that time comes. That's what our heart should be. That's what Jesus' heart was. That's what God's heart is. Amen? Jesus himself promised us. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that cool? He's gone to prepare a place for me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you realize that God, that Jesus is preparing a place for us? Our place is already set. In Romans it says, who those whom he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. He sees it all the way to the end. Amen? Praise God. All the way. He's preparing a place for me. Why am I worried about the junk of this world? He's preparing a place for me. Colossians 3.1 tells us that if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, for you are dead and your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. I have a life that is hidden with God in Christ. Praise God. Lord, I want to live in that now here on this earth. I want to live in the assurance of everything that he's done for me. He is preparing a place for me. Amen. Jesus himself will see us through to the victory with exceeding joy. I love the scripture in Jude. One of the first scriptures when I first started reading the word, I saw the scripture and it jumped out at me. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is committed to seeing me through. He's already walked the righteousness that I couldn't walk. He's already paid the price for my sin. I am saved from the penalty of sin. I'm saved from the power of sin. And in that day when I go home to be with the Lord, I will be saved from the presence of sin and never have to deal with that junk ever again. Amen? Are you looking forward to that day? Church, we should be expecting and looking with a believing, expectant faith to what God's going to do in those days when he raises me up and brings me up with him. Amen? Praise God. That's something to kick the back of your choir about, I'm telling you. Praise God. You see, Sarah made it all the way around the bases as the opposing team carried her to the ultimate victory. So also, we will rejoice in the ultimate victory through Jesus Christ, who sees us through to the end, that we may proclaim like Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. There is now laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall award me in that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Church, do you love his appearing? We have that promise in our lives as well. Amen? Now, at some point, a preacher is supposed to say that we're concluding. In conclusion, it's... <laughs> Isaiah 41.10, very favorite scripture of mine. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be thou not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand 
of my righteousness. Church, you can't fall beyond the hand of God. When you come to Christ and you receive him as Lord, you begin to start walking as he calls you to walk, and you start trying to lay hold of those promises. You cannot fall beyond his hand. He upholds you. There have been times where I didn't know how I was going to make it. In 95, when I hit a depression, I was low. I was very low. But I got to tell you, I never fell beyond God's hands. And in the early morning hours, when I would wake up after a rough night, and I'd take and I'd just open my eyes, I would hear God's word continually in my heart. And God kept me through it. I got to tell you, he still keeps me today. I struggle with my hip. And when you struggle with something that's a chronic thing, it can bring you down and get you discouraged. And sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I got to get up. And I'll get up, I'll go out in the living room, I get myself a cup of coffee, I sit down with my Bible, and I do my daily devotional time, and I spend time with the Lord. That's at 4.30 in the morning. And I do that every single morning. I can tell you this, every time when I'm done with my devotionals, I'm like, all right, praise God, let's get on with this thing, man. There is a day ahead. God has told me there is more. I am of today. There is more. Amen? The foundation of Christ is a sure foundation, sure to stand through the fiercest of, storm, of storms this life has to offer. When we receive salvation through Christ, he becomes all that we need in this life and in the life that is to come. He is our righteousness, our peace, our healer, our provider, our shepherd, ever present in our lives. And we stand under his banner, which is the standard that is raised up against all the floods of the enemy. Amen. Praise God. He is Christ, the living word who promised to never leave us nor forsake us, to raise us up in the last day. Are you hearing me, church? Christ has the preeminence. He has to be first place in your life. When I get up in the morning at 5.30, he takes first place in the morning. That morning belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. Amen? When I go to bed at night and I pray before I go to bed, he has the last, first and last place, beginning and end, and all through the day. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We are told to call on him. And when I call on the name of Jesus, I call on him all day long. I'm telling you, God has kept me because we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. I'll leave you with this last scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. And the Lord, never reason to give up church. He is preeminent in my life, and I pray that he's preeminent in your life. Amen. Mm -hmm.